You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. This morning we'll be in the Gospel of John in the 13th chapter again. We'll note that Jesus, even as he predicts his betrayal, will say, the way this is unfolding is even more, yet more reason to believe. In John 13, we began the Last Supper. John gave us, as we noted, five chapters about that. And he didn't even tell us about the institution of the Lord's Supper. So in chapter 13, we had the foot washing to begin. Now the teaching about betrayal, still to come in this chapter, teaching about the new commandment of love and foretelling of the denial that Peter will do. Then we have the great teaching chapters of chapters 14 through 17. This evening would have been a packed evening of teaching and of service, a very, as we find tonight, emotional uh, evening. Uh, When it's done, we'll only be about nine hours away from the crucifixion. But these four, five, maybe six hours in the upper room with Jesus and the apostles are occasion of much teaching and, as Jesus would say, reason to believe. We had in chapter 13, verse 1, where we began last time, it said, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, big theme in John, now it's done, it's ready. The hour had come that he would depart out of this world and to the Father, having loved his own, who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. Today, in this sermon, we'll concentrate much on the one who did not love him back. He loved his own, but we'll see one proved not to be his own. And then verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, and he had come forth from the Father and was going back to God, so it commences. But along the way, we've been told a couple of times about Judas already. In verse 2, during the supper, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus still washed his feet along with the rest. When Jesus washed the feet of them, he had to qualify what he was doing when he says in verse 10, he who has bathed needs only uh, to wash his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. Then he has to qualify, but not all of you. For he knew, verse 11, the one who was going to betray him for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And then as Jesus finished up and washed their feet, he explained it this way in verse 14, if I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, For I gave you an example that you should do as I did. And we studied that last time. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. And that's where we ended last week. The blessing of knowing and doing, the blessing of being in Christ and doing what Christ said. But yet again, there has to be a qualification And so in verse 18 through verse 30, we'll study the qualification and then the end of these qualifications because we keep having to qualify things 
because Judas is there. Well, that'll be solved in just a moment. So verse 18, after Jesus said, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. And so a lot of people would find reason to not believe Jesus for what's coming. He says, no, I'm telling you, so that even in what comes, in all of it, you might believe. All right, continuing on. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us what it, uh, who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it back. So when he had dipped the morsel and he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of, Iscariot, son of Simon Iscariot, after the morsel, Satan entered him into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For they were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Well, here we have, as Jesus stated in verse 20, he says that you would believe, or pardon, uh, that you would believe even when these things occur. Verse 19, when these occur, you may believe that I am he. There's several things about this telling of the incident and Judas's last moments with Jesus and the disciples that I've always found a bit confusing and I've always kind of wondered as to why this happens there. Why didn't they see what was going on? Why is it that Jesus got troubled at that very moment? What was it? I think, at least from my own understanding, I think I, I may have it a little better now. But let's take it and see what happens as we go through this text. We'll note first that there's a certain fulfillment, that these things happened as the Scriptures predicted. All these things would come as the Scriptures predicted. As Jesus was telling about these things and telling his apostles of their work, Jesus became very troubled. This happens a couple of times in the Gospels, uh, right around this time. The great trouble that Jesus has in his spirit. Then among the apostles... There's a great uncertainty 
as to what Jesus predicts and what Jesus predicted went totally unrecognized. And finally, Judas goes out into the night. So let's look there. And so Jesus, again, he had to qualify everything he'd done so far. I'm cleaning you, but you're not all clean. Uh, There's one of you who's uh, not with us. Uh, I know who I've chosen, uh, all of that, and I know what's going on. But everything he, he has done, he has to keep qualifying. And so you're blessed if you do them. Verse 17 is where we ended last time. The general principle, the, the, the apostles in particular and us by extension, if we do the things that Christ says and in Christ, there is great blessing in it. But there's one who's not going to be blessed, right? So verse 18, I do not speak of all of you. And he, don't you get tired when you have to keep qualifying things over and over? Every time you do a thing, you have to disavow something. You have to, okay, but not that. Or, okay, but remember this. And so Jesus is now, yet again, having to qualify what he says. You're blessed, and you think, you think you wouldn't need to qualify. You're blessed if you do them. But Jesus has to qualify, you're blessed if you do them. Because there's one guy, they're not going to be blessed. And even if he did anything good or right, he's not going to be blessed because he's so far outside of what is intended. So he says, I know, I don't speak of all of you. Now, don't think that this is a surprise to me that I can't speak of blessing all of you. Because he says, I know the ones I've chosen. I know you guys. I knew all of you when I chose you. I knew you before I chose you. There's nothing that we do that ever surprises the Lord, right? Now, from time to time, both for good and effect and ill, we surprise other people. People say, I didn't think he had it in him. Now, if somebody said about me, hey, I didn't think Jay had that in him. You think I just did something really good or really bad? <laughs> Hopefully good, but could be the one, right? I didn't think he'd do that. I didn't think he could do that. Wow, that doesn't seem like him at all. And sometimes we say that about ourselves. So for good and ill, we both uh, surprise others and we, pri- we surprise ourselves. But when do we surprise the Lord? <laughs> we don't surprise the Lord. And did Judas surprise the Lord? Did, G- did, you know, uh, did Jesus know there was a snake in the grass here at the table? He knew that. Jesus knew that. And so this was, as the prophecy says, he said, but it's that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so again, here we see one of these great marvels of the things of God. What did Judas want to do? Get some money and betray Jesus. What did the prophecy say he was going to do? Get that exact amount of money from those exact people, betray Jesus, and then when it's done, he's going to dispose of the money exactly in the way prophesied. And so Judas does everything he wants to do just exactly according to plan and prophecy while Judas is doing exactly what Judas wants to do. This is God's knowledge of us, that he knows everything of us. And then some people get wrapped up in uh, foreknowledge, uh, does foreknowledge equal predestination? If God knows we're going to do that, did that mean he made us do that? The scriptures don't present it that way. It presents that Judas is doing what Judas wants to do. But just like it says in Psalm 2, 
Uh, and explain the apostles quoting that psalm in Acts 4 is by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And so Judas gets to do exactly what Judas wants to do. And it's exactly what God knew he was going to do. And all that evil that Judas wanted to do and God knew he would do, God uses for his glory. Just like back in the case of Joseph. Joseph tells his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Well, this is evil. Every bit of what Judas is doing is for evil. And yet God uses it for his glory. And God uses it for our redemption. This is how bad it is. It's the one who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And so that's a quotation of Psalm 41. Psalm 41, 9, as it turns out. Even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread... He has lifted up his heel against me. That lifting up the heel is the figure of the barnyard animal that's lifting up its rear leg to reach out and smack something. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, I haven't asked Doug an update on his horse lately, but uh, some horses are sneaky about that. They kind of like to do it, don't they? It doesn't matter. Their head could be in the feeding trough you just filled. But if it, that horse gets you in a position where it can lift up that leg and swing it at you, what's it going to do? It's swinging for your chest or for your head. And so that's the imagery here of this ingratitude, of this malice. It's the barnyard animal who's kicking at the one who even feeds it. This is a terrible treachery. Uh, the greater context of Psalm 41 shows this even more. Psalm 41.5, beginning, my enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers wickedness to itself. When he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt, saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise up, even my close friend whom I trusted. And so, in the Psalms, there's all these enemies working against God's king, on all counts, working publicly, working privately, uh, twisting everything into uh, a bad end, trying to have everything result in a bad end. And here comes this friend of mine, I'll put that in big old air quotes, friend of mine, who is doing the same thing. Psalm 55 speaks of the same thing. Psalm 55, 12, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor does one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide my face from it. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol. For evil is their dwelling in their midst. As for me, I will call upon God. The Lord will save me. And so the turn against God's anointed is all through the Psalms. And then Psalm 69, which has a number of prophecies related directly to Judas. But uh, we'll read this part that goes before about the betrayal of the Lord. Psalm 69, 16. Answer me, O Lord, in your loving kindness, or for your loving kindness is good. In the greatness of your compassion, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. Reproaches have broken my heart and I am sick. I am looking for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters and I found none. 
They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And so here is the agony of the Savior in all of these things. Here is his being affected by this. You know, again, this was prophesied. This was known. This was the plan. Jesus knew this night was coming before he came to the world. And yet, when your friend betrays you, even knowing he's going to do it, does that not still hurt? Is that not still stinging? Does that not still, does that still not affect you? Especially one as compassionate and kind as the Lord. So Jesus said, yes, this is happening, and the prophecy said it. I'm telling you this now, verse 19, before it comes to pass, so, he says, that even when it does occur, you may believe that I'm he. And so all the things that are going to happen to me, all the humiliation, the mistreatment, the, the, the shame that's heaped upon him, the insults heaped upon him, all of that that is done to discredit him and shame him, he says to his friends, don't let that think I didn't know this was happening. Don't think that this is an accident or that this wasn't part of the plan. I'm telling you all of it in advance so that it can be a source of you of comfort, a source of a strengthening of faith. Now, normally you take the leader of a group and you arrest him and you put him on trial and you find him guilty. And then you execute him publicly in a shameful fashion. That is not done to encourage belief among his followers. Right? It's, it, it's intended to do exactly the opposite. But Jesus is in this upside down kingdom of his where everything has been turned on its ear. What about if we shame and what about if we humiliate and what about if we even kill the guy in charge? He set it up so that'll make it stronger. He set it up where that will cause them to have more belief. Now, I have to say, it doesn't seem in the first day or hour of this that that plan of Jesus would appear to have been working, right? Because the disciples flee, and they're all, they're all in shock, and they're all, they're, all, um, they're all discouraged, just as the enemy wanted. But when they realize what's actually happened with the resurrection, what do they know? This was all by plan. Oh, this was God's doing. And oh, yes, he did tell us. And so they're going to need a little bit of hindsight before this teaching of Jesus has its full effect, right? Now, we fortunately have two millennia of hindsight. So what can we already just jump to? Right to the encouragement part, because we already, we already know how this ends, right? Uh, uh, I, even though we're, we're talking about the things that are going to lead to the Garden of Gethsemane and lead to his betrayal and lead to his arrest, Y'all all came in knowing this ends in resurrection, right? Y'all don't have three sor sorrowful days waiting to see what's going to happen, right? You already, you already know the end. So, uh, yes, we can jump right to the encouragement part. And then in verse 20, Jesus then uses that as a launching off point to really, I think, commission the apostles in their great work. And I, I used to always wonder, why is this here stuck in the middle of this? This is a really important thing in verse 20, and it just seems to get buried. But look at verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, he's pretty obviously there to me talking about the apostles first. I'm going to send people, and if you receive the people I send, you receive me. And if you receive me, you'll receive them. Right? Like, how do we know doctrines what know the truth? He wouldn't receive the apostles, right? Third John. 
the people who received the apostles, in receiving the apostles and believing their teaching, who did they receive? They received Jesus, right? He's really commissioning the apostles here, right? And yet, as soon as he says it, and wouldn't we think this would be a time of celebration and anointing and open up a new bottle and, 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 uh, and, and uh, do whatever else to celebrate? Because we've just, we've just commissioned the apostles in, in their great work to a new degree. Jesus, when he said this, became very troubled in his spirit. And so this commissioning of them to go in Jesus' name, and when they go in Jesus' name, receiving them is receiving Jesus. And receiving Jesus means you'll receive them back. That kind of gets buried here, is Jesus is greatly troubled. Because as we've had all this evening... What's it now time to do again? It's time to qualify, right? Y'all are all clean, but well, not really. Y'all are blessed if you do it, but not all of you are going to be blessed. Everybody who goes out, everybody who goes out in my name, it's, you know, they're going to be my, well, no, but not you. It's time for qualification time again. It's time to disavow Judas again. And this time we just jump to the big disavow. He says, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And so this was terribly troubling to Jesus. You know, one of the things you get through the Gospels is that Jesus didn't just call these guys, these apostles, because he needed some helpers, right? He didn't just pick up 12 lackeys. He picked up guys he kind of liked. And over the years, he really grew to like them, right? He's fond of these people. He enjoys their company. Here is... Jesus, the Son of God, here is the, the God in the flesh, and he has made it a point to be in the company of other people. This is how much that God loves us, right? These guys are the demonstration that God loves the world. And he, just doesn't, he doesn't love the world in a general sense, right? Like the, the guy who was a, a famous philanthropist, he says, I love humanity, I just can't stand people, right? He's not, it's not that kind of thing. He actually likes people, right? I mean, I don't even do that a lot, but he really likes us. I feel like, you know, do the Sally Field speech here. He likes us. He really, really likes us. He does like us. And here's a guy, Judas, that I think he probably liked. He's been with him for years. He's a guy that hasn't given anybody any reason to think otherwise except that you had divine knowledge. This is a guy that the rest of the apostles said, yeah, let him keep the money. I mean, when you go out with friends, are you the one they let keep the money? And who do you let keep the money? That's a vote of confidence. So they had confidence in him. This guy must have had some qualities that made him good company, good to be around a person who was trusted and a person who was loved. And Jesus has to announce to him, okay, I, I can't keep qualifying all this. I, I just need to tell you, one of you guys is going to betray me. And he's greatly troubled. He was greatly troubled at uh, the cemetery in Bethany back in John 11, he saw the Jews weeping and Mary weeping as they went to the grave where Lazarus was laid. And it says he was deeply moved within and he was weeping. In Matthew 26, uh, there's this statement in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is but a few hours away. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and watch. And so there's three times, and this is one of the three, 
that Jesus is deeply troubled in spirit. So it's the death of a dear friend. It's the prayer preparation for his own death. And it's this announcement that one of my friends is betraying me. These are the three times where Jesus is described as deeply troubled in spirit. So this is, this is a big deal. Again, in the midst of all this prophecy about Judas in the, in the, with this commissioning of the apostles of verse 20, and now he's uh, going to, uh, we're going to have this little, uh, you know, mini detective show trying to figure out who it is that's going to betray him. We kind of lose that. But this is a Garden of Gethsemane, a graveyard in Bethany moment of anguish for the Savior. This is a big deal. This is how much he loves us. And just to tell that one of his dear friends, even though he knew it and even though it was prophesied, just to tell it is troubling. This, as the psalm said, Psalm 42, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to God, the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go to mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they, stay, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in deep despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so this is predicted, and Jesus now reveals it. So it's going to happen, and, but man, is it troubling. Well, for then, those who hear it, it brings out a great deal of uncertainty. They all say, is it me? The disciples began looking at one another. Now, this, hey, this was going pretty well. I mean, it was a little odd when he washed our feet a while ago, but okay. Hey, we need our feet washed. He did that. He gave us a blessing. Something seems a little bit to trouble him, a little bit off, but now all of a sudden, someone has lifted up their heel against me and someone's going to betray me, and now Jesus is over there deeply troubled. I, it doesn't say he's weeping, but I imagine he stopped talking, right, Is he... Is he taking the napkin to his eye? Something, something is up with him, and all of the rest of them are looking at each other going, what just happened? What is going on? They were at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. In Mark's gospel, it says this, Jesus said, one of you will betray me, the one who's eating with me. They all began to be grieved and say to him one by one, surely not I. So they're at a loss, John describes. They're grieved, Mark describes. And they can't understand who this could possibly be. Now again, like us with the benefit of two millennia of hindsight, it's that guy. The one in the picture with the sinister look on his face. We've all seen the painting. He's got the, he's got the sinister mustache and everything, right? He's, he's over there curling his mustache in the corner. It's Judas, right? He's sitting on a money box in some of these pictures. Right? He's got red hands in some of these pictures. Okay, he didn't look like that, did he? The artists give us an indication. They point us to 
right? Who's the problem child over here? Everybody's leaning into the photo except the one guy leaning back. It's him. It's obviously him. Yeah, two millennia later, that's obvious. At the dinner, that's not obvious. Again, they, as we'll find out in a moment, they trusted this guy with the money. You don't, if you suspect the guy who's holding the money, you take the money away, right? You give the money back to somebody else. You see, um, so, again, here is one of those surprises of Scripture. How many times are we surprised in Scripture? We read the story of Lot, and we're surprised that a person seemingly so far away from God could be saved. And not just Lot, but others, right? But how many stories are there where we see that a person who appears to be so close to God is the one who strays. What that tells me is I can't always just, I can't trust my judgment. I got to trust God's judgment. It's, my, my only hope is, is humble service. My, my only hope is trust and faith. Because how many who seem so close to God miss the kingdom? But how many from how far away were called in close? And they have no idea who it is. And so he's unrecognized. While they're grieved and they're talking to Jesus one by one, and I don't know, they, they take a number or they just wait till there's a break in the conversation. Hey, it wasn't me, right? <laughs> While that's going on, there was reclining on Jesus, verse 23. Reclining on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. There's John, who never identifies himself. And Peter. Peter gestures to him. Some translations say he motioned to him. And so Peter and John must have been sitting far enough away that in what's going on, they can't talk or it's not suitable to talk. And so as you do when there's a big crowd and you got a, a dear friend who you're closer to, you can communicate with him with a, with a hand wave or a point or ask him, ask him who this is. Something went on. And Simon gets John's, he gestures to him and says, tell us who he's speaking about. So then as they're arranged and John is closest to Jesus, he leans back. Cause, and again, I, I don't understand this, man. When I have a feast, I want a chair. Yeah. A, a recliner and a, and, a, and a portable TV tray, that's okay too. But everybody laying down on their side. Okay, well, that's how they did things. So, so John is laying beside Jesus. He kind of leans back to him and looking, either craning his neck this way or looking over his shoulder this way. I'm not sure which. He asked, Lord, who is it? Because he's the closest one. And then Jesus, again, this seems to go unnoticed by nearly everybody. Uh, uh, Peter and John must have realized uh, what was said on this part, but not realizing the immediate significance of it. This is the one that I shall dip my, the morsel and give it to him. So again, that prophecy of Psalm 41, I shared bread. Literally, he's going to give him a piece of bread to eat. So when he dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So he puts the mark right on Judas. And not just in that, but in Matthew's gospel, there's record that he said that. That he said it as well to mark out Judas. Matthew 26, 22, being deeply grieved when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. They each began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he answered, he who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will be betraying me. The son of man is to go, but as it's written, 
uh, as is written of him, but woe to who to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man not to have been born. Read the Psalms about what's going to happen to this guy. Better not to be born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said, You've said it yourself. So verbally and with a gesture, Jesus puts the mark right on him. And we wonder, how then do they not understand when he leaves? Well, they didn't. Either they weren't thinking that this was going to happen in the hours ahead, right? Um, Because that just seems totally incomprehensible that any of them would do this, especially tonight. That's not in their mind. Maybe they thought this is going to happen way in the future. You know, in John 21, when Jesus predicts uh, Peter's death, that he'll be bound when he's old and uh, taken to where he doesn't want to go, you know, that's 30 years away. So maybe they thought this is a decades from now. Maybe they thought this is a long time from now. Maybe they thought this is a, he, this slow betrayal. Trail. He's going to, he's going to just uh, drift away from us. I don't, nobody had in any conception of their mind that in five or six hours, this guy's going to be leading Jewish officials and Roman soldiers to our secret place of the Garden of Gethsemane. Nobody had that in mind in the least. And so it goes totally unrecognized. Verse 27, the end of the night, the final part. After the morsel, Satan entered into him. So Jesus has said, look, he's the only one, it seems, that Jesus responded to on his questions of not I. He's said, it's the one to whom I give the bread, and then he gives him the bread right out of the bowl. And so I think Judas thought he was exposed. I think he does feel singled out. When you have a guilty conscience, what does it take for you to think people are talking about you? Right? You don't even have to be talking about the guilty man that he already thinks you are. Well, here he's the guilty man and Jesus is talking about him. Nobody else has caught on to that. But Judas, I think, does. What does it say in the Proverbs? The wicked flee when no one pursues. Why? Because they think they're being pursued. They think somebody's after them. And that's a terrible thing to live that way. When you live your life in a way that you think they're coming after you. Right? So, none of those reclining at table knew for what purpose he said this. So they admit, we didn't get it. We didn't see it in the least. So Judas might have thought he was exposed, hung out to dry. The rest of them hadn't yet got a clue. You know, hindsight and scriptural explanations make things obvious, and we should take advantage of that. But in then understanding how the text works, we should see that the people there did not have that benefit. But this is all done, as it said back up in verse 19, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so when it occurs, you will believe that I'm he. So I told you, you didn't get it, but really, I did tell you if you think about it. So verse 29, for some of them were supposing, because he had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, that he should give something to the poor. So again, there are no outward indications of Judas's heart to his friends. Kind of a scary thing, right? That somebody might have in their heart that kind of greed 
that kind of malice and nobody know it. That's a scary thing. Humility and uh, repentance before God is the only thing I know to keep that guy from being me. Right? Well, how, how, how is it that I would not become a Judas? Well, by not letting Satan get a hold of my heart in the smaller things by which he'd got the foothold there earlier. In the greed, in the love of money, which, again, we saw in hindsight evidences of through the Scripture, but his friends never saw. So there he goes. He received his morsel. He went out immediately. And it was night. So Jesus knew the Psalms foretold. We're, we're, it's explained to us that we might believe. And I think from this, take warning about not so much other people's heart, but yeah, some of that, but mostly of our own heart. And so Judas leaves right away into darkness, into evil, into infamy. And Jesus continues on with the faithful in the light into glory. Let's join that crowd. With that, we close today our consideration of Jesus' announcement of Judas' betrayal and what went with it. A troubling time for Jesus, though he knew it coming, because it's still a sad thing and a hard thing to bear. But he bore it for us, and he's got much more yet to bear as we go. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.